When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of the Niner Noise Podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. My name is Robert Morrison, a contributor at NinerNoise.com, and here with me, as per usual, um, a little bit of a different time of the day, uh, but it's it's all good, uh, fellow contributor Akshaz Devadula. Akshaz, how's it going, man? It's going good, Robert. You know, you're right. It's a little, we're a little closer to game day than we usually are when we kind of get ready Mm -hmm. for him so it's exciting we got there's no more guessing about who's going to play and who's not what's going on it's right here so i can feel the anticipation building already (laughs) right exactly uh so usually we do this like thursday night and maybe sometimes friday earlier in the day uh but we had to move some things around so it's actually saturday afternoon right now so uh you'll probably be if you're hearing this you'll probably be hearing it like only a couple of hours after we're actually doing it, which is a little bit rare. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I think, as you say, that does provide us a little more clarity. We can talk about the actualities of the game, you know, barring some kind of last minute change uh, in player status and all that kind of stuff. We just we just know who is who's going to be ready to go and who's been able to overcome their injuries and whatnot. But um, that'll be good. Um, so obviously it's it's Cowboys week. Um, I was uh getting a little concerned that we weren't going to get be able to get this one in because of all the the moving parts that we had to to endure but it it felt important with the the Cowboys coming in for Sunday night football first sort of like major marquee matchup of the year for the 49ers I've got pretty safe to say uh the Cowboys coming in at 3 and 1 after a pretty convincing win over the New England Patriots on Sunday um after tripping and falling on their faces against the Arizona Cardinals the week before um, other than that Cardinals game, they've they've uh, pretty well handled uh, their opponents uh, this season. Um, haven't had too much in the way of uh, any issues. Obviously, they shut out the Giants forty to nothing week one. Uh, beat the Jets thirty to ten, albeit the Aaron Rodgers list Jets thirty to ten in week two. The aforementioned loss to the Cardinals, and then thirty eight to three on Sunday against um, uh, the Patriots. 
So they've given up what total of third? What's that? Of uh, 38, 41 points in four games, which is you know pretty good. Um, as far as the defense is concerned, the defense has also done a lot of uh, a lot of legwork in that particular uh, in in helping them score as well. Something we'll I'm sure touch on just a little bit. Um, so it'll be two premier defenses in the NFL facing up against each other. And then two teams that are pretty good on offense um, currently in terms of points scored, if you want to use that as your your uh, barometer for, for anything. Uh, the Cowboys are fourth in the league in points scored with 124, and the 49ers are third with 125. Now, I think there's a small caveat there because I don't think that number, I'm using pro football reference, uh, the points for category, but I think that just calculates their total points that they've scored and does not include the fact that I think their defense has scored what like four touchdowns this year. Um, so their offense is seems like it's doing things, but there's a little bit of, I think uh, uh, a caveat that we'll have to get into uh, throughout this episode, but um, it's certainly an exciting um, thing uh, week to be getting into it. So Akshaz, you're, you're a little younger than I am. So, what what's your sort of history with with this 49ers Cowboys thing? I know a lot of people have been asking like Kyle Shanahan and some of the players about it this week. Um, but what what's your sort of background with it? Does it does it you know like make you feel the fire as much as those of us who are a little older do? do? Yeah. So this is probably gonna be a little like clear on how old I am. But I never watched a 49ers game and was like, wow it makes sense that the Cowboys are the team we hate. Obviously, historically, <laughs> like, you read about it, you see it, and you're like, oh, neat. Like, this is a crazy rivalry. And I think right. it helps that, like, on certain venues of the online world, any fan base can be super annoying. So you can build a healthy <laughs> amount of frustration with the team just by simply looking at Twitter. But for me, sure. I mean... I think the last couple of years is definitely amped up more. So I'll like off mm-hmm. the top of my head, when I think Cowboys 49ers, I think the last two playoff losses the Cowboys had to the Niners, those were super cool. And then I think the Niners walking in, I want to say 2014 into AT&T, Patrick Willis gets an interception in the end zone. They completely like paint the, stadium red and walk away with a victory and i was like for me it wasn't so much like it's the cowboys specifically it was more like <laughs> this these are like this is america's team right but right, they're not, yeah. it doesn't really look like it from there so that's kind of my thing on it but it's definitely amping up more i mean anytime you face a team in the playoffs things start to heat up again and that's where i think you know, you know this better than I. It's probably where a lot of this animosity comes from. And I think right, for me, right. I, I don't have the like frustration because I haven't seen the Cowboys do anything to the 49ers in the playoffs. So for me, it's kind of like, <laughs> oh, it's them again. Yeah. But I yeah. can see where it came from. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have I do have recollection of those early 90s teams where they kept losing it to them, to the Cowboys in the playoffs. And uh, there was like a number where I think like the early 90s, they faced off against each other four or five times. And every year the 
the winner went on to either go to or win the Super Bowl uh, for a number of years. Uh, so that was that was uh, my recollection. I was not alive during the early early eight, eight stages of the of the rivalry in the you know back in the seventies when they also couldn't beat the Cowboys and get into the Super Bowl, and then obviously the the uh, the NFC Championship game with the catch and how that sort of sort of opened the floodgates for the franchise. But it certainly runs deep, and there have been some some spaces in there where. Uh, you know, in the eighties when the Cowboys kind of fell off and they weren't very good for a long time and the Niners were kind of running the league and then that switched a little bit in the, uh, or they were both good in their, in the early nineties. Right. And then the mid nineties came and the Niners sort of fell off the planet and nobody really cared about them. And then that's, then there was a time when they were both kind of not so good <laughs> for a little bit. Um, and, and yeah, now it seems to be sort of um, getting back into that mode. Um, and obviously the 49ers have sort of run things. Um, I imagine people like people your age and, and maybe in and around there are probably, probably think of the Packers a little bit more in that particular case. Cause if you think about those teams in, in the sort of later part of the nineties where the 49ers and Packers faced off against each other, probably has that same kind of like animosity, like this team just keeps beating us and we can't get past them kind of thing. Um, but yeah, that's that's where we are, obviously. And there's a long historic rivalry of it. And then the fact that they've seen each other a lot over the last couple of seasons and, and they've been in particularly big moments, including uh, the last two um, playoff rounds. So that's 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 certainly interesting from from my perspective. So um, any other thoughts before we get into background and start talking about the game? I mean, just it's. You mentioned this is kind of the marquee matchup. So I think even if this was like Kansas City or, well, Philly has its own can of worms, but Buffalo, <laughs> this would be a big game, but I kind of, I just love the intensity of it, right? Like the Cowboys players the entire week, they haven't minced words about how important this game is. The Niners are definitely seeming like they're up to the challenge, but they don't seem to be making it this end-all be-all. So, you know, it's rare you get these super high-profile matchups early in the season. And it's even rare that they actually, like the teams that you thought they would be are actually that good, that the Niners and Mm -hmm. Cowboys are two of the top three teams in the NFC right now, probably. So, like, it's there's a lot riding on this, I think, in terms of the optics of these teams going forward. So. It's a lot of fun. It's an exciting well, game to talk about. Yeah, and then just from like the, if you do, if you subscribe to that, like there, these two teams are in the the top tier in the NFC. Then you have to think, it's, it feels like the the sort of race for the number one seed in the NFC is going to be between, you know, the Niners so long as they keep taking care of business and whoever wins the NFC East, right? Um, whether or not the the Cowboys find a way to catch the Eagles or if the Eagles hold serve and they, and that sort of thing. Um, and it's going to be those kind of two, three, maybe, you know, cause it, you don't really get the impression that the, the team who wins the NFC North or the NFC South is going to be in that conversation, but who knows? Um, but that's kind of the way it seems at this particular juncture. So in that case, even in, even though it's week five and players and Kyle Shanahan have tried to downplay what that means. Um, I think if you're, if you truly have like getting to the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl on your mind, like you have to think when you get up against these these top tier um, these top tier teams in especially ones from your conference, you have to be ready to take care of business so that you don't 
have to worry about like, oh, what if we lose a stupid game to a team we should beat in a couple of months and we lose ground because we end up tying with another top team team because and they beat us and they have the tiebreaker, that kind of thing. So in that regard, it also, I think, matters a lot as well. Yeah, I mean, because the Eagles are taking care of business already and the Cowboys had that one slip up against the Cardinals. But unless you're comfortable saying the Niners will go undefeated the entire year, the Niners are going to have a slip up somewhere probably. So, (laughs) you know, it's a it's an important game to have for a variety of reasons. Because, I mean, not to like go too take too wide a look, but if you look last year, the Niners lost to the Bears and the Broncos, and those two games are the reason why they weren't playing at Levi Stadium late January. Mm-hmm. So every game matters. Every game this season is about making sure they get into the playoffs healthy, they get into the playoffs prepared, and they get into the playoffs with the best path to make it to the Super Bowl. Absolutely. All right. Well, with that, let's get into a couple of other uh, bits of information that will be useful um, heading into this game on Sunday Night Football against the Cowboys. Start off a little bit with a little bit of a, a fun bit of news. Um, Christian McCaffrey, for the third time in four weeks, is your uh, NFC FedEx ground player of the week. Um, that's three times in four weeks um, that he's won that award, which is just outstanding. Um, continue to bang the drum for the Christian McCaffrey for MVP uh, conversation. I still, you know, haven't haven't uh, put my money where my mouth is in that regard, but I probably won't. But just it'd be kind of fun. Um, so that's cool. I, I think if he continues down this this uh, this path, it's going to be really hard for teams to 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 stop this offense. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, roster moves. We got one, a couple of under the radar moves that are, you know, another set of, of practice squad shuffling type things. And then a pretty big, important one that we'll spend a little bit of time talking about. Um, it won't really impact this week. I don't think, but, uh, it is something to, to, to kind of pay attention to. Uh, so the team was able to bring back Il Manning offensive tackle who played, um, with pretty well, I think during the uh, preseason, uh, eventually he went to the Cardinals, I think, if I'm not mistaken, and he was released from there. So he's back on the practice squad for the 49ers, along with Jeremy McNichols, who is the living embodiment of that Simpsons meme where, you know, Grandpa Simpson goes in the door, puts his hat up, takes his hat back, puts his hat back on and goes directly out the door for the practice squad. Um, that's just, he just in and out and in and out. He's just enjoying his time, I guess. Uh, in order to bring those two back, they did release fullback slash Swiss army knife, Jack Coletto and defensive lineman, Marlon Davidson. Um, so those are small root moves. I think the Jeremy, the McNichols thing might be interesting considering, uh, the injury situation that we're going to get into in a little bit. Um, so it might be something to watch there. Um, if there's something more long-term that we're not aware of, that's coming down the pipe. So I would kind of keep an eye on that, but we'll we'll kind of see how that plays. Um, the bigger news, of course, is that the 49ers made a trade, um, and they uh, traded a sixth-round pick to the Denver Broncos for a seventh-rounder, so essentially a, a pick swap sixth round for a seventh-round pick. Um, and, no, wait, not, not that, not that uh, Broncos defensive player, unfortunately. Uh, they did get... Uh, defensive end edge rusher uh, Randy Gregory uh, in exchange for that, which is not the move that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, but I still think it's an important one. Akshaz, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, so 
first of all, if we like completely disregard how good Gregory was, is, or could be, this is already just a super smart move. To move back, like, what will probably be 10 to, like, five spots, maybe 10 if you add <laughs> Right, especially if, if the Broncos the Broncos keep going the way they are, for sure. Yep. To get, like, a depth player who can add some pass rushing juice, it's a genius move. And, like, because the Broncos are taking the entirety of Gregory's salary apart from the prorated veterans minimum, what that essentially means is the Broncos were going to be on the hook for all that money if they released him anyway. So now they just traded him, but they're still on the hook for all that money. So the Niners don't have to pay anything extra. And because of the way the NFL like contract system works, all his bonus money is held onto the Broncos cap sheet, which means the 49ers can release Gregory after this year without incurring a single cap charge. And given the fact that he makes $14 million a year, that's probably going to be what happens. Maybe there's a restructure yeah. or a reworking of the contract. So that's, first of all, it's just like, this is the kind of smart, savvy move that like they should be doing. I wish they did in the offseason. There's a great cornerback on the Cowboys right now, Stephon Gilmore, who they could have gotten into the action of the same way. But, you know, they chose a time to make a move and this is a great one now gregory as a player has had a kind of rough couple years in the broncos he signed a five-year 70 million dollar deal and he hasn't really been able to play up to his full potential he has a lot of off the field concerns that's kind of been the big knock on him for his entire career it's just that he struggled with staying healthy staying on the field not getting in trouble with the nfl so that's something to keep an eye out of, although those issues haven't really popped up recently. But if he, like, when he gets on the field, he's an instant upgrade from Drake Jackson and Clennon Farrell, and he adds another element to a 49ers pass rush that has been really good at pressuring quarterbacks, despite the fact that most QBs are intentionally playing a quick game passing offense to get away from the Niners, but they haven't been able to clean up sacks. So Gregory, I think, especially if he can kind of get to the level he was two years ago when he was with the Cowboys, actually, he can like absolutely unlock this offense. He's not like a superstar. This isn't the same as trading for Brian Burns, perhaps to shore up the other side of the (laughs) offense of the defensive line. But in terms of your fourth pass rusher, because that's what he is in like your team or maybe even fifth, given how well Javon Kinlaw mm-hmm. has been playing, you can do a lot worse than having Randy Gregory on the team. Right. And and he also immediately moves from a situation where the expectations are very high and he's like, you're a starter, you're going to run out there most of the snaps to, you know, maybe he's a 50% of the, of the, of the snaps guy, right? With his team, he gets in there on obvious passing situations. I mean, cause who knows if he ends up being like the sort of base defensive end, they may continue to run with, with Drake Jackson or Cleveland Farrell in that particular case, um, and then move it, move him in on on obvious passing situations and really take advantage of his skill set in that regard. Um, I should say, Kerry Hyder uh, Jr. Uh, was released in order to make room for uh, Randy Gregory as well. So kind of an obvious move in that particular case. He's sort of the odd man out as far as that group is concerned anyway. Um, and if 
and this is no disrespect to Carrie Hyder, but if you if you're making that swap out, you're obviously raising the level of, of the rest of the room uh, in in that regard as well, which is a nice move in this particular case as well. Yeah, and Hyder will probably be back on the practice squad unless someone signs him to the active roster, so they don't even really right. lose him. They just kind of are limited in how much they can play him. Well, here's hoping that it's not at the expense of Jeremy McNichols, who <laughs> is just just in and out, poor guy. Anyway, um, so that's 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 good. Uh, he I don't he's not going to play on Sunday, is my understanding. Um, I don't know if they didn't get the the move done or if he was already hurt or something. I'm not really sure what the situation was, but I think Shanahan said he's he's not going to be available for for Sunday's game, which is unfortunate because you would have liked to have him out there in this particular case, but. Nonetheless, he'll be. Uh, this is a, this is a long term move for the entirety of the season, not necessarily just to beat Dallas, right? Um, <laughs> that's that's uh, that would be a weird thing to do. Hey, we're bringing you in just to beat the Cowboys, and then we're just going to let you go. Um, but we'll see how that uh, how that goes from here. As you said, they have some flexibility with that. I think he's got what three more years left on that deal, or something like that. It. I think I looked at it yesterday. It's they're at least ten million dollar cap hits over the next three years. Probably not something the 49ers are interested in. If he's interested in you know, moving some of that money into signing bonuses and whatnot, then maybe you can have that conversation. And if not, you can be like, well, thanks for your services. We'll see it later at the end of the season. So, um, all right. So that's, that's roster moves. Let's talk about injuries. Uh, good news on the injury front for the San Francisco 49ers. It looks like everybody that has been struggling with injuries throughout this and last week, is good to go. It means Debo Samuel, it means John Jennings, it means Dre Greenlaw, it means Travarius Ward, who's been, I guess playing through a heel injury over the last uh, since the season started. So that's good news. Um, I believe John Feliciano is out of the concussion protocol. So everybody's good uh, with the unfortunate exception of a guy who was not on the injury report at all last week. And then all of a sudden popped up at the last minute and then ended up not playing on Sunday. And that is Elijah Mitchell. And uh, gosh, man, I'm I know we've we've had this discussion before. But I'm, I'm I'm getting very concerned about Elijah Mitchell's ability to like be available, which is of course at this particular point he's not your bell cow back. But as we saw a couple weeks ago, he can be a really important like backup player. But if he's not available, he can't be used. And if he can't be used, then this is eventually got to be somebody they're going to have to move on from, right? Yeah, and I think we've had some discussions between the two of us to this point where it's starting to. It's really unfortunate because Mitchell, of course, fantastic rookie year. Really felt like he had like good momentum going into second year. And then the injuries hit and they hit hard. And the 49ers had to make a move. They get Christian McCaffrey. And before you know it, he's now the backup. And now he can't even he can't even stay on the field like that. And I mean, there's just I agree. You can't really go into a season anymore and be like confident that he'll be there for you. Luckily, they have McCaffrey to insulate from that, and then some. Obviously, with CMC being as good as he is, and they've invested so much into the running back room with Ty Davis, Price, and Jordan Mason that you think that the 49ers will be okay. Obviously, you know you want Mitchell to play. He's a great like. Similar-ish, but different enough running back to McCaffrey to where he can make some important changes to how defenses play. He's a little more straight line than McCaffrey is. But 
and you just feel for the guy himself. It seems like every year something pops up, and it's just he can't like get a break. But it's unfortunate, I think, for all parties involved. But yeah, I can't see a world where the four. I mean, obviously, the 49ers aren't going to like release him because he's right. a, he's on a sixth round like rookie salary. That's a great player to have at that price, just around in case. He actually does manage to stay healthy, but I just don't think you can go into next year or even really this year anymore with the expectation that like he's our running back too. It has to be more of a right. he's around, and if he's healthy, we can we can toss him in for a couple plays. For sure, um, he played in 10, eleven games as a uh, as a rookie. Um, and has played in seven games since, and that and that number doesn't even really tell us anything because uh, the one of the five games that he played in uh, 2022, we know he only played like one quarter um, of that opening game, I think, if I remember correctly, and then he was gone the rest most of the rest of the season, came back late, and then obviously has been he's only carried the ball 16 times in two games so far this season, so unfortunate, um, but hopefully he'll be able to uh, to get healthy and be a, an important part of this team. Um, from the Cowboys perspective, um, doesn't seem like there's any major players that are not in, not expected to play. Um, uh, obviously they're missing Trayvon Diggs, who went out with an ACL injury in practice a couple of weeks ago. That's a pretty big miss from their perspective. Um, the only player that's definitely out for them on Sunday is tight end Peyton Hendershot. Um, who has an ankle injury. They have some players on their um, on their injury report who didn't practice throughout various points of the season or the, the week, um, like linebacker Damon Clark, uh, running back Rico Dowdle. Um, even they have even have Tyron Smith and Micah Parsons and Zach Martin on the list and Demarcus Lawrence and CeeDee Lamb. Um, but they were all just kind of resting early in the week and pretty much everybody is full practice with the exception of Clark at this point. So they should be other than Diggs and Hendershot should be pretty full bore um, ready to go. Uh, so there's not really anything that you can look at that and go, oh, well, you know, they've they're injured at this particular position or something like that. Um, doesn't necessarily mean that they're that, that they're not you know, players to watch out for, especially something like somebody like Malik Hooker, who was limited early in the week with a shoulder injury uh, and might be somebody that you can watch out for um, as maybe a player who would be, you know, someone to maybe take advantage of in the passing game. But other than that, they seem to be good to go, um, which I think should uh, make for a, a good uh, matchup on Sunday for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, actually, is any other thoughts before we, get into uh, reasons for optimism and concern. Just that, you know, it kind of sucks that Diggs got hurt. You would have liked for the Cowboys to be at 100-100% because obviously we always want best against best. That's what makes football fun. But they've, in like the game or two they've had to replace him, they've really done a good job actually, which just goes to show you that, you know, not to compliment the Cowboys too much, but this is a good <laughs> team. This is a good team with a lot of good sure. players, and it's going to be a fun game. Yeah. So, so does that mean when I when I kick it to you for your reason for optimism, you're not going to begin with talent disparity this time? <laughs> yes. For the first time this season, I have a specific reason for optimism. 
And my reason All right, for go optimism for it. is the Cowboys red zone offense. Well, it's really the Cowboys offensive efficiency overall, but the Cowboys red zone offense ranks 30th in the league with a 36.8 touchdown percentage. Now, this is important because the 49ers defense has actually been not very good in the red zone. Now, these stats are kind of skewed. So the Niners allow 66% of red zone attempts to result in touchdowns. But this is like equally counteracted by the fact that the 49ers just don't allow teams to get to the red zone. So in a way, that's kind of different than 49ers defenses of years past, where it was a lot of bend but don't break, and you would get a lot of field goals because they'd kind of tighten up when it mattered. Now the Niners defense is kind of either we shut you down and you get nothing happening or you just get a drive on us and it's a touchdown and we're completely flailing about. But the Cowboys struggling in the red zone kind of pairs well with how the 49ers have been, where their strengths are and where their weaknesses are. So you don't really have a feeling where the Cowboys will be able to consistently and easily score points because they get down to the field. On top of that, the Cowboys' offense has generally been inefficient. So you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast how the Cowboys have scored a lot of touchdowns, but they scored 12 touchdowns this year, four of which have come from defense or special teams. They've also had 13 field goals. They haven't missed a field goal, and they've only missed one extra point. They've gone for two twice. So they average 31 points a game, which is fourth best in the NFL, just behind the 49ers, like you mentioned from pro football reference. But their defense has been able to augment scoring because of this like absurd turnover luck. That's the biggest thing when you talk about the Cowboys is how they force turnovers, which I'll get to a little teaser for potential <laughs> reasons for concern. But the offense overall, I think rushing-wise, give me a quick second to find the efficiency numbers. But So for the passing offense, the Cowboys average – well, where are they? They average 6.7 yards per attempt on the, through the air. The 49ers are 9.1 for offense for reference. The Cowboys' rushing offense averages – 4.1 yards per attempt. The 49ers are 4.6. So just as in comparison, the Cowboys have, first of all, like their schedule is who they've played, and the Jets' defense is really good. So this isn't like a they haven't played anyone good, and that's why they're able to like get away with such like poor efficiency numbers. They're like okay relatively, but you, what we see here is a team that essentially is grinding out like points on offense it's complimentary it's smart given their defense but it's not explosive yet it's not like dominating over the long course of a game in the same way like the 49ers did against the cardinals where times when the offense seemed like inefficient it was more so a byproduct of cutting the clock but the niners could go down the field in two and a half minutes if they wanted and score a touchdown and i think if you think about strength on strength I'd argue that the 49ers' strength this year is their offense. The Cowboys' strength is their defense. So that's kind of the marquee matchup, right? It's how are the Cowboys going to handle the 49ers' weapons? How are the 49ers going to handle the 
Cowboys defense. But in games like this where you have these really, really good units on one side, one matchup, it's almost always determined by the other matchup. And I think given how the Cowboys offense has struggled a little bit and the ways in which the 49ers defense has really, really played this year and how they've managed to like stop teams, these efficiency numbers are going to be they're, they point to a problem for the Cowboys because you can't beat the 49ers defense by getting like four yards of play for 10 plays. That doesn't happen. You have to like attack them because they're more likely to force a mistake than you are to force them to make a mistake. And I think this is where we can kind of see a game where maybe the Niners offense can only put up 20 points or so. It's a low scoring game, but the 49ers defense. Well, <laughs> that's where we are at this point, right? Only 28 yep. points. Oh, no, hum. but <laughs> yeah, I can see the 49ers defense. I think to summarize, it's easier for me to see the 49ers defense putting the Cowboys offense in a vice grip than the 49ers offense completely flailing against the Cowboys defense. So that's my reason for optimism, I think. The secondary matchup really goes into favor for the 49ers. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like 100% right there with you. Um, those were the two things that I wrote down uh, for my reason for optimism is the, the red zone struggles. Um, I mean, the Cardinals kept them out of the end zone a bunch of times. Um, but and, uh, and then again, their dependency on the on the defense. They, they, have, they haven't needed the defense to score, but it has made their games look a lot more dominant. Right. It, it, like if you take away their defensive touchdowns, they still are probably still three and one. Right. But but the the numbers don't look quite as like ecstatic. Like they, they don't beat the Giants 40 to nothing. If they don't have if the defense doesn't score, uh, you know, those score, those sorts of things. Um, what was the number I saw? They've run 85 plays in the red zone this year, which is the most in the NFL in that range, somewhere like that in the mid 80s. And they've scored seven touchdowns um, in the red zone, which is just like ha- that's. That's not even that. That doesn't even seem like it should be possible, right? You think if you got 85 cracks at it that you could figure out a way to score more than seven touchdowns, and they just haven't. And they're, you know, they're stalling inside of inside of the red zone, time in and time out. Um, in in you know, they're, if you're you're looking at, at those numbers and you're you're just like, okay, well that doesn't that doesn't look so good. Um, and then as we said, they're they're um, the explosive numbers are not there either. Cause if you look at their, at their touchdown log so far this year, they've got a two yard rush, a one yard rush, a seven yard rush, a four yard pass, a one yard pass, a 15 yard pass, a 20 yard pass and a, and a three yard rush. That's their offensive, which suggests they're good enough to like get into the end zone. And then when they get really close, they're likely to score, but they're not showing a lot of explosive ability in terms of like being able to get the ball down the field quickly Um, they're going to like go out there and just like ram it down your throat. Like, you know, the 49ers have showed on, on, you know, they showed the, against the Cardinals for the, suddenly the game is 21 16. And what do the 49ers do? Well, they went down and scored inside of a couple of minutes. Right. And they were just like, okay, no, this is our game. Like you're, you're not coming back. And the Cowboys, their defense has been spectacular, but the offense has just kind of been, eh, it's fine. Like, and they have playmakers and they have good players on the, on the offensive side of the ball. You look at CD lamb, you look at Tody Pollard, you look at, um, uh, Michael Gallup. Um, I hesitate to include Brandon Cooks in there just because you know, he's he's their third guy and he's he's a pretty good player, but he's not like a top of the of the list type of type of guy. Um, but they they just don't seem to be like that like top notch explosive offense like some of those like underlying offensive numbers would suggest. And some of that comes down to the fact that their defense has been so good that they haven't really needed to be. But the one time that their defense was not the best that it needed to be, well, they lost the Cardinals. So that's kind of I'm right there with you. If if those things continue to happen, and if you put the two units against each other, the 49ers offense versus the, the Dallas defense, and the Dallas defense or the Dallas offense versus the 49ers defense, which units are more likely to come out on top? It feels like the Niners have the edge a little bit on both sides. So um that would be a good reason for optimism. So I'm right there with you, sir. Um all right. But, of course, because this is not a talent disparity situation, there are some real reasons for concern. So what do we got? Yeah, I mean, so the reason for concern I have is just basically what if the Cowboys defense does exactly what it's done to every other team to the 49ers? And most specifically, it comes from their turnover-making ability. Because, you know, Brock Purdy hasn't thrown an interception yet. The 49ers haven't really fumbled the ball. Everyone's been really good about ball security. 
on this offense. And it's allowed like whatever small miscues to occur to not really cause huge issues. But I think we'd all be lying to ourselves a little bit if we say that Brock Purdy hasn't put some balls in like majorly dangerous ways. Like there have been plays where he should not have made those throws. I mean, the catch Ayuk had against the Cardinals, that's not a good throw. That's a bad throw that the Cardinals defender isn't able to track, and Ayuk makes a great catch. They go from there, and that's how it works sometimes. Like, no one is saying you have to be perfect all the time. Sometimes bad plays work out. Sometimes good plays work out. But the Cowboys' defense scoring four touchdowns, that only, like, begins to talk about the amount of pressure they put on put on a team because they like force defenses to essentially they force offenses to play differently right you can't attack the cowboys normally with micah parsons there's a constant pressure along the edge you can get into a quarterback's blind spot and then boom you don't know you don't know what hits you with the secondary even without trevon Diggs, it's a ball hawking secondary and Stefan Gilmore is one of the best corners in the NFL. He's lost a little bit of a step, but he's a savvy vet, and he knows how to play. So there's just a lot of concern, I'd say, that you know Purdy has his worst game as an NFL quarterback was against the Cowboys last year. And then we don't know how he would have played against the Eagles before he got injured, but that would have been another great test. His he hasn't really had to go up against these dominant defenses and you haven't had to see him really like deal with an absurd pressure. Like the Steelers defense was scuffling the entire day, but TJ Watt, I mean, he came around and he, he took care of business. He single-handedly in week one made the 49ers offense like flutter and like fall apart. And you're just, I think it's wrong and overconfident to assume that the 49ers offense can simply like take care of whatever it needs to do against. So yeah, here's here's that the four, the Cowboys have seven interceptions on the year, which is an absurd amount of interceptions through just four games. They forced 10 takeaways. That's not first in the league only because the bills played the commanders one week and just, teed off on Sam Howell, but that in contrast to the 49ers defense, which has forced like it's forced five turnovers, hasn't scored a touchdown on defense, has been a little more about like methodically slowing the team down than anything else. The Cowboys have been they've made games happen because of their defense. And that's a scary thought because you have a situation where Purdy, one of those throws doesn't go the way you expect it to. Before you know it, everything starts to fall apart. So I think there's a real concern that the pressure fundamentally constrains the 49ers offense, and then the opportunistic play of the Cowboys defense kind of is able to take advantage of some miscues Purdy might have. Right. Yeah. Um, I think essentially, and this is kind of the thought that I was having, essentially we get a repeat of the playoff game um, to end the season last year for the Cowboys um, from the 49ers offense who managed, uh, let's see, four field goals, uh, four punts, and one touchdown in that game. Um, 
and but yet instead of the version of the the Cowboys offense that we got last year, they sh- they do just a little bit more, right? Because I mean it was a close game. It was a, what was it? Uh, hold on, nineteen to twelve. So if if you turn one or two of those Cowboys field goals uh, that they that they got. Um, well, they had two field goals. Um, if you turn those two field goals into touchdowns, well, then they win 21 to 19 and it's different and then the game is over. Right. Um, and so that's that's I think the reason for concern is kind of echoing those things you're talking about is the 49ers offense isn't over able to overcome. Um, and, and it doesn't even it won't even take like them imploding or them just like giving the ball away or anything like that. I don't think. I think if they are not as if they're not able to overcome the Dallas offense as much as it seems like they should be able to, um, and if we get a repeat performance of that of that divisional champ of that divisional game, um, then there's probably um, and and combined with the Cowboys offense just doing just a little bit more than they did in that in that playoff game, then I think that's the sort of path for the for the Cowboys here. Um, I don't think they have to dominate it defensively in terms of like scoring a touchdown or or anything like that. If they can sort of keep the Niners offense in check, um, and we've and we've seen this in the past before from this, not from this particular Niners group, but from Shanahan's groups uh, before, where like their offense is scuffling a little bit and the defense is doing what it needs to do and it's keeping them in the game. And then the offense continue to scuffle and the defense kind of gives up one one big play or one big drive that kind of puts them behind the eight ball and then they're in trouble. And it's just like, how much can you <laughs> like, how much can you expect the defense to hold on to these games when your offense is like, eh, we got nothing today. Um, and if that, if that happens, it, then I, I think that's a game that the 49ers are not really prepared to overcome because they, unlike Dallas, they're off their defense, as you, as you noted, is not going to probably turn this game around and, and or at least they haven't shown so far, like we're going to control this game and we're even going to score a couple of times when our offense can't, um, which is fine. Like that's not the way this team is built at this particular game, but it is a version of this game for this particular matchup that you could see like, okay, that's how they lose this game is the offense doesn't quite do what it needs to do. And the defense doesn't quite do what it needs to do. And the Cowboys are good enough to, uh, to overcome um the 49ers playing, you know, a B minus game or something like that. And that's the path to, to losing, I think. Yeah. I mean, this isn't like a last couple of weeks where we have to give crazy examples of, well, if the 49ers defense just forgets to cover someone, then, you know, they lose the game, but you're right. I mean, in some ways it's very similar to not necessarily, but, the Broncos last year, where <laughs> the Broncos the less defense, said about that game, the better. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the 49ers defense did everything, and the 49ers offense did nothing, and eventually, the offense kind of folded within itself and gave the Broncos the game, which is like an insane situation to have happen, and that's not going to happen in this game. But it's a similar situation where you can see both defenses playing incredibly well and it just being that Dallas's defense is a little more capable of changing the game than the 49ers defense. Not to say that they're necessarily better than the Niners defense, but they certainly have a little more ability right now demonstrated at least to take advantage of miscues 
and really like score often, capitalize often. Some of that is situational, some of that is luck, but some of that is just the 49ers have a lot of smart, disciplined defenders who force three and outs and allow their offense to go on 10-yard plays. The Cowboys have a lot of smart, aggressive defenders who force fumbles and score touchdowns. And that's kind of just the way the offense is set up. The defenses are set up right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's two two different styles of defense, right? Um, And that doesn't mean that both of them cannot be successful. And in fact, both of them are proving to be successful. Um, But it does mean that the Cowboys... In in similar ways of the way to the for, to the ways the 49ers have been the last couple of seasons, I think, where the defense has been, I think, a little bit more opportunistic and a little more they they've scored more touchdowns in in seasons past, and they obviously they haven't scored any touchdowns as of yet, um, and they haven't taken advantage of all the. I mean, they probably, for all intents and purposes, should have a couple more interceptions, and they probably should have scored a couple of touchdowns, but they've dropped a couple of balls and that sort of thing that is allowed them to not have those. Um, and so at this point, given what we have of this season, we have to say if it comes down to which defense is going to be able to like make a play. And by make a play, we mean like score a touchdown for their team. Well, the statistically, we it looks like Dallas would be more prepared to do that, but it doesn't mean that the, the Niners couldn't, you know, put them, the defense couldn't put the team on its back a little bit and say, okay, we're just going to get stops until the offense figures it out. And just, and that's what happened in the, in the playoff game last year, right? Both teams were kind of scuffling offensively and the Niners defense was actually maybe they had a couple of interceptions and all that kind of stuff. They didn't score any points, but they held and they held and they held and they held until finally the 49ers offense broke through uh, and scored a touchdown. And that was the difference in the game. And um, it could be another game like that, um, but maybe not. I don't I don't think it will be. I feel like the Niners offense is rolling enough that they're going to be able to figure out a way to to actually put up some points a little bit. Which leads us nicely into our prediction uh, section for for this podcast. So, Akshaz, what do you think? Um, Are you willing to go crazy with this? um, With this prediction? I I'm really torn here. I think. I'm going to go and say I think the Cowboys win this 21-17. I just think the 49ers' offense has played really, really well. The defense has also played exceptionally well. But the Cowboys have been right there as well. And I think right now this can be – this is a game that the Cowboys clearly care more about than the 49ers. And that doesn't mean much for – how like they'll play, but I think some adversity might happen. I think the Cowboys are a team that can probe at the 49ers' offensive issues. I mean, there's so many ways this game can go, but I think maybe this is just because I've been a little overly critical. I'd say of the 49ers throughout <laughs> the this four-game winning streak to start the season. I don't think they've played as well as they. They could have. And I think part of me just thinks it has to catch up at some point. So I'm going to say this is the game where they kind of, they have to reevaluate a little bit of like things that they've kind of been getting away with. And, you know, Dallas can have a victory now, but I don't know if they'll have a victory if the teams meet again. All right. Well, um, 
everybody say bye to Akshaz. He's no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> we're we're allowed to pick against the 49ers if we truly. It has happened a few times on this podcast. Uh, we've been fortunate enough that for the bulk of the time that this podcast is, that exi- has existed, the 49ers have actually been good. So there hasn't been that many opportunities to be like, I think they're going to lose this game. So that's fair. Um, I'm going to just dive into version one, the the optimistic reading of this, which is where the 49ers offense maybe doesn't comfortably kind of pull through and maybe this prediction is a little higher than it probably has any right to be. Uh, but you mentioned 28 points and I laughed at that because it was low. Uh, but that was actually the number that I went with. I'm going with 28, 13. I'm leaning wow. into for the 49 for the 49ers. I, I, and, and all that is because I think it's going to be, it could be one of those things where it's actually like 21, 13 at the end of the game and the Niners get another touchdown to sort of pad the lead kind of thing. Um, and then Dallas has to do their one of the, the their favorite thing to do against the 49ers, which is attempt to score a touchdown late in the game without any touchdown, without any timeouts, because Mike McCarthy will have used them already for something else. Um, and uh, and then I'm leaning into the the fact that they have struggled in the red zone. And um, this is definitely the. Well, maybe not definitely, but it's certainly among the de- the best defenses that ca- the Cowboys have seen. Um, and I'm counting on Dak Prescott to sort of do the thing that he's done against the 49ers, which is just not play all that particularly well. Um, so I'm, I know that's bold. I know that's a lot of points. It's only like a three and a half point uh, spread, but I'm I'm I don't know. I'm I'm riding the optimism train until the until it goes off the off the rails. Um, so there we go. I know, I know, I know. That's a lot. I mean, I the thing is, right? Like, I feel twenty-one seventeen is, and maybe this is wrong. This is probably like the worst case scenario. I don't see the Cowboys blowing the Forty ers out, but like, I no. don't disagree with a single thing you said. Just kind of why it's a weird one, and I I don't know. It's that's what makes these fun, you know. It's like, especially in the regular season where you don't feel like you have to put your all the stakes into it, like a loss is not the end of the world. It kind of like if this was the playoffs, no way in my good conscience could I pick against the 49ers. I would be terrified <laughs> well, that's good to know. To that. But I mean, it's going to be a close one, I think, even though yeah, yeah. I know a margin of 15 is very much not close. I think what you're saying is a kind of closer game that the Niners right. eventually pull away from. Yeah, similar to, I mean, a couple of the other games, you know, that they've played already this season. I mean, if you think about the the Cardinals game, probably was closer than the final score indicated, right? Um, I mean, they got within five points with, you know, late later in the second half, but the final score looked like they blew them out. I mean, they covered the 14-point spread, spread or whatever that was, um, which is pretty impressive and hard to do. Um but they were able to sort of pull away at the end and the defense did enough. And I could kind of see a slight repeat of that. Although of course the Cowboys are a better team than the Cardinals, although they lost them. I think the transitive uh, property would suggest that the Cowboys are actually a worse team than the Cardinals, but I don't, I don't think that's how it works. Um, I don't think math works that way. And when it comes to <laughs> the football team, so um, Akshaz, we'll kick it to you for your final thoughts. Um, if you have any, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap this one up. I mean, as as much as a Week 5 game can matter, this one is pretty big. I think even though the last two weeks 
two of the last three weeks has been like divisional opponents, like games that you really bank in order to win the division. There's always a sense of pride when a, a marquee team plays another marquee team. I mean, I can only think of the 49ers losing to the Chiefs last year and how that felt that they were far away from where they wanted to be. Or in 2020, the same situation happened to the Bills. It kind of was like a complete display of we need a quarterback because they have Josh Allen and they can do whatever they want to us. But then you also mm-hmm. think about the positives, like beating the Seahawks last year, Thursday night, Brock Purdy has a broken rib. I mean, this year we can already see that that Eagles game, like there's a reason we talk about it now, even though it's in a couple months. Those are, these are the big ones. These are the ones that like mean a little more. So even though they're saying all the right things, this is going to be a fun game. I think Levi's is going to have a playoff-like atmosphere. 49ers fans have been really good about showing out. I think the teams are going to be amped up to play. It's prime time. Everyone's watching. Brock Purdy is getting a chance to put on a big show. And I think, you know, even though I picked against them, I'm already starting to second guess <laughs> my thoughts because I mean, this is just this is going to be a this is going to yeah, be a yeah. great great game. So it's one of those things where you know we're lucky as fans to be to be like at a point where our team gets into these games, and it's not like you know not to rag on Giants fans any more than they've already dealt with, but you don't Yikes. watch your team be on every primetime game and get blown out, right? Like, they have a chance to win this. And I think all of us, a little bit, get some sense of joy when the Niners kind of prove how good they are and you spend the next Monday and Tuesday, everyone's talking about how good your team is and how they can't be stopped. So it's a big one. I think it's good to be excited for it. Sometimes we preach patience and not getting too amped up about stuff on this podcast. But no, this one is... This is a game to get your popcorn ready because this is going to be a great, great show. Indeed. Well said, as per usual. Um, and we'll be waiting all day uh, tomorrow uh, for Sunday night football. So it should be exciting. So um, there we go. That's it for another edition. So thanks for listening to this episode of the Niner Noise podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Uh, please con- continue to check out uh, pregame, postgame sometimes mid-game, uh, NinerNoise.com for all your latest 49ers news and analysis. And be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And, of course, share it with all your fellow 49er fan friends. So until next time, let's sound the horn, 49ers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.